Welcome to the Beyond the Sermon podcast, where we take your questions from Sunday's teachings in order to form a dialogue about the scriptures and what God is teaching each and every one of us. Well, good morning and welcome back to the Beyond the Sermon podcast here today, Sunday, March 20th. Pastor Joseph Scarfone was preaching this morning uh, as he was in uh, Acts chapter 18, verse 18, all the way through 19, verse 20. Um, so Joseph's on the podcast here with me. Joseph, do you always appreciate that I just give you these long, meaty passages? Absolutely. I think the longer, the better. So maybe more than 30 verses next time would be great. Yeah, I think the first time you preached, it was like 48 verses. That's exactly how many I counted. <laughs> it was so maybe next time, if we continue the trend, maybe we'll yeah. be down in the 20s next time, or you could just throw a curveball and see if I could do like 100 verses. 100 message. verses? Yeah. Okay, challenge yeah. accepted. Challenge. Let's do it. Uh, Joseph is going to be up, and he's going to be preaching through the entire book of Jonah. <laughs> in one message. In one message. One message. In one 20-minute message. <laughs> Oh man, uh, I you know I don't know about you, but I I've as we've been walking through the book of Acts, there's so much that we could zero in on. Yeah, but there's also something about this larger movement that's, that's right. going on that the way that we're dividing the book of Acts up, and uh, part of it is just the time that we have to, right. to how we can divide up is part of it based on the amount of weeks that we have to do that. We don't want to go through uh, Acts for five years, right? Like, so literally, the first time I outlined the book of Acts. It was, it was literally two and a half years. Yeah. You know, if you're right. only, if you're, if you're really doing a deep dive in the book of Acts, sure. you could, it's going to literally take us two and a half years. And so we don't want to, we don't want to take two and a half years, sure. you know, to do that. But, um, uh, so this morning you, you brought us to this idea and I think that's what really stands out when we have these larger chunks, we can see this bigger picture of what's right. going on. And, and so you, you challenged us to think about, being on mission right. for God. Yes. And you see it in Paul here in this passage over and over again. Right. Um, and I, I love the way that you talked about it was that, um, especially the, the soldier illustration that mm. you gave, right? That the mission is critically important. That's right. And it also probably is going to come at a great cost. Oh, yeah. Right? It's not an insignificant thing you're being invited into. That's right. Um, and I, I appreciated that because I think, I mean, for me personally, right, I so quickly go back to following Jesus is for my comfort right. is to make me feel better is to make my life better. Yeah. Um, and yes, some of the, the byproducts of following Jesus, I'm filled with hope. I'm filled with joy, you know, I'm filled with contentment. All those things are good things, sure. but those things are really forged in the furnace of suffering right? in the furnace of hardship. And that's really when we are on mission when we're when we're really bought into something um, it's tested when it's not going well That's right. or when things are hard. And so I, I, I appreciated you just pointing us to that larger picture of, um, and then how at the end of your sermon, especially dialing to uh, those four things of how we can be on missions. Right. And so just, if you could just give us, just recap those four things for us at the end that you gave us uh, of how we can be on mission. Sure. Uh, one of them is to pray to the Lord of the mission. We want to yeah. make sure that we're, we're praying to him. We also want to make, I don't remember. We want to, well, you, so you're talking about, uh, about prayer. Yeah. About inviting people into, into yeah, the mission invi- with us. That's right. Right. That's right. Um, you talk about rebuking, re- re- rebuking evil or, or, um, and I think that was your fifth point, but, uh, you talked about that and it's part of it was we invite people in 
And especially, I mean, we see the movement of the Holy Spirit in this passage as well. Sure. It's part of the work of the Holy Spirit in us that he yeah. calls out bad doctrine. Sure. Right? But it's also then putting good doctrine in it. So I think those yeah. are the four things you talked about. Oh, there, there were five points, but then there are four points yeah. of application. They have yeah. too many points. Too many points. I need to go back to the Baptist three points in a poem. Three points in a poem. <laughs> <laughs> to make it easier for everybody, so I apologize. Uh, but I appreciate those yeah. things, right? So it's, it's, again, being built up with the right stuff. Sure. Having the wrong stuff called out of me, and that's yeah. a lifelong process. Right. Uh, inviting others into it because following Jesus is not a solo sport. Sure. Making disciples. Making disciples. And then, and then fourthly praying. Sure. Right. We don't lack any resource. We have the very spirit of God in us and the very God of eternity is for us. And he wants us to succeed at this whole being on mission, making disciples thing because his glory is made great when we do that. Amen. And so, uh, so we don't lack any resource for that. So we should be praying uh, to him to help us and spur us on. Sure. So I, I just appreciate that in the way that you walked that through as you watch Paul continue to do that those things with Priscilla and Aquila, bringing them along, right. bringing Apollos along when he had half the picture or half the story. And he was doing good intention, good intended work, right? But he was just missing part of it. Right. So that, that kind of takes us into here some of our questions. We got some really good questions here this morning. Uh, the first one is about uh, Paul's haircut. Sure. Right, so Paul, I just as a guy who has regular appointments with his barber, okay, I just appreciated that in the Bible, we've got Paul getting a haircut. There we go. Right, it affirms yeah. my lifestyle. Yes, style. <laughs> my style. style your hair. Style your hair. Get a haircut. Um, so the question is this: Paul was under a Nazarite vow, uh, or having long hair up until about Acts eighteen eighteen that we read this morning. So why is he portrayed as a bald man in Christian art and literature? And second question here: Should modern Christians ever consider the Nazarite vow, and why? So I think there's a couple of things. A lot of times whenever you see Paul portrayed in art, I think it's toward the end of his life whenever he's in a prison cell. Mm -hmm. And what we have here is toward the middle of his life. So he may still have some hair. Yeah. The the other thing to consider is that uh, the way that the language is written in the Greek is that the vow could be for either Aquila or for Paul. So it doesn't say who was making the vow. Yeah. And I don't think that it's a Nazarite vow either. I think that it's also uh, just a vow of devotion, a vow of commitment. Yeah. And whenever you look at what Paul's doing, going from city to city, making disciples, yeah. he's clearly devoted and he's living on mission for Christ. Yeah. So I think that's really what this is about. Not so much that the vow was a na- one for the Nazarite, but that they were being committed. Yeah. Yeah, and you're right. So, so there's some some ambiguity in the Greek sure. in the original there. And if you have a study Bible, a good study Bible will will also note some of that in there. Right. Um, but you're right. So as as Luke is writing it, we're not sure if it's a Nazarite vow. If it was, if Paul was taking a Nazarite vow, that opens up actually a whole world of other questions because yeah. he's not in Jerusalem, and in order to take a Nazarite vow, you have to make a sacrifice at the temple in Jerusalem. Yeah. Uh, and there's, there's a whole uh, a bunch of other conditions uh, that come in with that. So if he was, there's more questions that we have. Right. But I think what you, what you noted here is that, again, he's making, he's expressing his, how, I mean, his, just his love for God, right. his devotion to God. Um, one other theologian that I read, uh, Daryl Bach, actually suggested that this is probably more of a vow of thankfulness. Yeah. If it's Paul taking the vow, remember we came out of the passage in, uh, previously in 17 and 18 as Paul's on the move in Athens uh, and then um, in, in that region that Paul is actually, uh, that he... Uh, that he, that God, Jesus gives him a vision and says, I'll protect you. Sure. Keep going. 
I've got many people in this city, mm-hmm. you know. And so then as he is, as he's before uh, the proconsul, uh, and he's protected, right. you know. And so, um, so it could be a vow of thankfulness sure. that God has delivered him, that God has protected him. So, yeah. but either way, what we know clearly is that he's taken a vow of devotion, right. that he, he loves God. So should Christians today take the Nazarite vow, shave our heads, not drink alcohol, not touch dead bodies, make a sacrifice in Jerusalem, right? These are the literal points of the sure. Nazarite vow. Um, or, or what should Christians today, how do we apply that to our lives? Yeah, I think the principle is is right. I, I don't think that we need to make all those points for a Nazarite vow. Yeah. I think we could commit to a vow. Like right now we're in the Lenten season yeah. and we're in a season of prayer and fasting. That's yeah. like a vow. I'm going to commit to prayer. Yeah. I'm going to commit to fasting and abstaining from things. Yeah. So that's a practical way that I can vow to God my devotion and my serious during this time of year. Yeah. So I think it's good for Christians to have seasons where they get more intense with their faith. Yeah. And just really dig into prayer, dig into scripture, get saturated with the truth, and and fast, abstain from some things that might hinder you from a closer walk with God. Yeah, I think that's that's such a good word. And that's, I think when we see vows throughout the scriptures, that's what it does. It drives people back to being focused and being present to God. We're in that 40-day lead up uh, to Easter now, which is the Lenten season. And so traditionally, Christians would abstain from from three things. They'd pick three things that they'd abstain from during the Lenten season. Sure. And and it's not just, I'm not going to eat dessert. Right. It's that when I want dessert, I go and spend time in prayer. Amen. Right. Yes. I'm, I'm drawing near to my father. Right. So those kind of things. Um, yeah. So I think, like you said, whether it's, it's fasting or just abstaining from something, uh, cultivating those rhythms in our life, yeah. that in our lives that push us back to Jesus right. is, is a good thing. Um, and, and, you know, and then in the question there about why is he always presented as a bald guy in Christian art and literature, you, you noted that probably near the end of his life, but we also know that in Renaissance art, Paul wasn't a white guy. <laughs> he's a, he's, he's, not? he's a middle Eastern man. Oh yeah. And so uh, when we look at Renaissance art, they're, yeah. they're painting themselves sure. into that as much right. as anything else. And so, um, yes, yeah, so I think that's even in, even in the art world, how yeah. do we understand that? Right. So Paul gets a haircut and, uh, and, uh, it prompts us to be faithful to Jesus. And don't look at the art for <laughs> your representation of who people are. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So here's our second question. Um, coming into, uh, in, into, as in this passage, we see Apollos yeah. who has, he's, he's got like half the gospel. Right. Right. Um, and he's earnestly doing good work, Sure, you know, but when uh, Aquila and Priscilla get there, They've got to fill in the, the rest mm. of the story for him. Mm. I love the way that you said that. So the question comes in this morning. It says, in Acts 9-2, doesn't everyone automatically receive the Holy Spirit when they believe? Uh, why didn't they receive the Holy Spirit until Paul laid hands on them in the current passage? Was it because they haven't heard of the Holy Spirit? So what, just when you hear that question, and as you understand the, the, the ministry of Apollos, uh, how, do you, yeah, how do you make sense of what went on there? Yeah, I think with both uh, Apollos and the disciples of John the Baptist, they had an incomplete understanding of who Christ was. Yeah. And you can't be truly saved until you know who Jesus is. Yeah. And and the issue is that they couldn't have the Holy Spirit because they didn't have 
Christ and a relationship with Christ. Yeah. So for, for them, it would be getting those pieces filled in where they would have a complete understanding, a, a full understanding of the gospel message. Yeah. And that was beyond John the Baptist. Yeah. And, and John the Baptist pointed to the Messiah, the Redeemer. And for yeah. John the Baptist's disciples, that's where their training had stopped. And the same with Apollos. He was mighty in the word. He was studying mm-hmm. the scriptures, but he didn't know Jesus. Yeah. And whenever Priscilla and Aquila taught him, yeah. then he had a complete understanding. Then he was able to go back to the synagogue and proclaim how all the scriptures pointed to the Christ. Yeah. So I think, I, I love that, right? And so that when we say uh, Apollos had the scriptures, we're talking about the Old Testament. That's right. Because yes. at this point, we're 25 to 30 years right. into the early church. Um, the Gospel of Mark is probably just being written, Maybe. Yeah. Right? right? And that's the earliest document that we have. And so all of the letters of Paul have not been written yet yeah. or are in the process of being written, sure. uh, which means they're not widely circulated yet. That's right? right. So Apollos has the Old Testament scriptures. And even like you said, John, when, when Jesus comes, John goes, here is the Lamb. Right? right here is the promised Messiah, yes. and so John even points him to him. And I think for us to understand, for John the Baptist, repentance is an Old Testament idea. Yes, ceremonial washing is an Old Testament mm-hmm. idea. So that baptism, right. uh, but under Jesus, it takes a whole new fulfillment. Right, and and so we are filled with the Spirit upon belief, but they just missed that crucial final part. Right, right, and so Apollos is a God fearer, just like Lydia was. Right. And and yet then when Paul came and filled in the story for Lydia, she she repents and believes in Jesus That's right. and is saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Right. I think the same is happening here, like you said, with, with Apollos. I agree. He's got half the story. Sure. And he just needs he just needs it colored in uh, with Jesus. And so and then some some good teaching from Paul upon this this sealing uh, uh, that comes from the Holy Spirit, right? right? That the Holy Spirit seals us into God's family. And that happens right. at the moment of belief. Right. And, um, and is the, is the stamp, right? Is right. that in, in so many ways, I think when the spirit works in such profound ways in the, in the early church, it is God doing something where he says, I'm putting my stamp on these people. Sure. These are my people. Yeah. Right? I love the way that the language is used. It's like having a seal with the king putting his signet ring yeah. in top, on top of it so that you can know there's a seal of approval. Yeah. And just with the Holy Spirit sealing, he's our promise. He's the authenticator of our faith. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. And so yeah, he is that, that authentic. That's, that's such a good word. He authenticates our faith. And that's what God is doing there. That's right. For Apollos and everyone that's there is they are, he is authenticating it for them. They have the real thing now. They have the real thing. And, he, and, and there's some unique things that God does to demonstrate his divinity, which I think you demonstrate at the end of the passage, right? Sure. Uh, at the end where, where these amazing things are happening and Paul's not even there. Yeah. But in a place of Ephesus, where there's so much idolatry, so much sexual promiscuity, uh, just so much rebellion and brokenness, and yet what's the response to to this amazing work of God? It's people repenting and believing in Jesus and being saved, Right. right? So God is working in this extraordinary way because he's demonstrating himself and then authenticating the belief of those who place their faith in Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good word uh, to authenticate it. Well, coming up on that theme, uh, this, this final question comes in and asks a, 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 I mean, kind of a tricky question. That's not a new question to the church at all. 
And so um, here it says this in Acts 19, one through seven, saying you must be baptized specifically in the name of the Lord in the Lord Jesus. Most churches baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from Matthew chapter 28. Acts 4.12 says that there's no other name by which we must be saved except Jesus. The name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is Jesus. I believe I have a believer friend that argues baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is not obeying Scripture. That bapti- that baptism is necessary for salvation, so it's a it's a requirement to be saved. Right. And speaking in tongues is more or less the only proof of being filled with the Spirit of God. How accurate is this interpretation? So there's a lot going on yeah, here. There's in like this ten question. questions there, right? Um, but uh, yeah, so let's just let's just start unpacking it here. What is the scriptural requirement for salvation? The scriptural requirement for salvation is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's it. Yeah. Right. That's it. Um, and I think I, I had a professor ask me this. I was in, it was a, it was a, um, a upper level missiology class at okay. Trinity. Right. And so it's asking the question, what do you need to do to be saved? Right. And so we start going around the class and I was just sitting there listening to everybody kind of talk and, um, I got to know this professor by this point. I was like, oh man, he's, I know he's, he's, he's setting them up. He's baiting them. He's yeah. baiting them. And I'm, all, I'm, I'm, I'm quick to take the bait. I'm quick to take the bait. I won't lie. Uh, I had a moment of self-control here and all this, they're throwing out all these, these ideas. And, and, uh, and Dr. Cooper just said, isn't it, what does the Bible say? Right. Believe in the name of Jesus. Amen. Yeah. That's the, that's the scriptural requirement right. for salvation. And, um, and so I, I would just, I think, you know, as Joseph and I were talking a little bit ahead of the podcast, right? Just it, it, if you really want to know, just go through, do a study, right? right? Um, do a study of every place that it says, you know, what it's required for salvation. Yeah. And then when baptism is figured into there, it's always a second step, right? Right. Um, or a, or a act of obedience. It's not a second step of salvation, right? But it's an act of obedience after you've been saved. So Acts chapter eight. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Right. The Ethiopian eunuch has already received Jesus. Yes. <laughs> and then his motivation to get baptized is, well, it's this ritual cleansing. I'm identified with Jesus. Here's the water. Right. Why wait? Let's sure. do it. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, the Philippian jailer. Right. Um, you know, all of all of the examples we've seen in Acts so far, uh, Lydia, uh, she she believes and then is baptized. Right. Um, so, yeah, so how would you, if somebody came to you and said, Joseph, you are required to be baptized in order to be saved. How would you, how would you help think through that? Yeah, I would first just go to Scripture and separate the two mm-hmm. so that they would understand that salvation is the work of the Lord and that there is nothing that we can do to prove. And whenever yeah. you are saying, I'm going to get baptized to show my salvation— that becomes a man-made work. Yeah. And this is a gift from, from God. And whenever we begin to add works to it, it is no longer a work of God. It's a work of man. Yeah. And then, then we don't need Jesus because then we yeah. could work our way to yeah. salvation. And that is dangerous ground to be on. Yes. So for me, I always want salvation to be a work of God that we're responding to his grace yeah. and we're in repentance and faith to yeah. who Jesus is. So it's really that simple one line, yeah. believe in the Lord Jesus yeah. and you'll be saved. Yeah. If I try to add anything to that, it becomes works and it's no longer the yeah. right gospel. And I uh, so appreciate that, right? Because if, if at any moment, even the smallest work is required, yes. grace is nullified. That's right. And, and so I, I'm, always, I'm always interested to hear when I have friends who support the idea that baptism is a requirement for salvation, I'll take them back to the thief on the cross. Mm. And the gymnastics 
we have to do in order to make sure that we, the thief on the cross, who did not get baptized, by the way. <laughs> well, did it start raining? Did it start raining? I don't know. Is and did Jesus baptize him? Or what happened there? I mean, <laughs> so the gymnastics we have right. to do to make an exception there, right. when Jesus says, you'll be with me in paradise. Today. Right? Yeah. You know, yeah. it's done. Yeah. You know, so we just have to be really careful. And so um, uh, baptism, and it's even how do you baptize? Right. Can you, you know, infant baptism, adult baptism. We practice believer's baptism here. Sure. We think that's the clearest from the scriptures, right. um, you know. And uh, and so we, we just need to be careful not to make secondary issues primary issues. Right. Right. And what's clear, what's the most clear in scripture is that it is my belief in Jesus yes. that is is what grants me salvation. That's right. It's a work, gracious work of God on my behalf. Mm. I'm not able to do it. That's right. And and because of that, when I put my faith and my belief in Jesus, I'm now sealed by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Into the family of God. Yes. Right. And then baptism is this response of obedience. Right. Uh, so this other question is they, they keep coming here or developing this. So should we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Well, it's what Jesus told us to do in Matthew right. chapter 28. Right. Right. Um, uh, you know, we want to be careful uh, not to get into modalism, right. um, which is this ancient heresy that in the Old Testament, God existed as the Father. Right. In the New Testament, we had God who came in the incarnation as Jesus. And yes. then in the church age, we have God who exists exclusively as the Holy Spirit. Right. We have Trinitarian theology that we see the Spirit at work in creation, yes. Genesis chapter one, we see Jesus, uh, Paul tells us in Colossians that Jesus is preeminent over all creation right. before all things. John tells us that he is uh, with the father. He and the father are one mm. um, in John's prologue uh, chapter one, verses one through 18. Um, so we see tr- the Trinity Yes, and we, we, we want to, we want to resist ever going, Oh no, now we're just, now God is just the Holy Spirit or, yeah. um, you know, those kind of things. We want to we want to resist playing those kind of uh, games. Um, so I think we just, yeah, we baptized. Jesus told us. That's right. <laughs> if Jesus said it. It's good enough. Just put your stock in that. Yeah, right? that's all you need. Um, and, and so uh, I don't think, I think church is baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the way. That's right. Right? That Jesus told us. And so um, so that's what we need to do and, uh, and, and go from there. Uh, but then... Proof of our salvation, this idea of speaking in tongues is the only proof of our salvation. Man, how do you wrestle with that? Because I've actually, I've had friends, I actually sat in a job interview at church yeah. uh, that they're interviewing me to be their youth pastor. And I knew that you had to speak in tongues in order to be on staff. I've never spoken in tongues. Mm-hmm. I've heard from the Lord in a dream. Okay. I've heard people give me prophetic words over my life that some were garbage and some were true, right? right? You want to give me a word from the Lord? I'll test it out. You know, um, I, I'm not a cessationist. I believe that the spirit works. I believe in the gifts of healing, those kind of things. Sure. But um, I've never spoken in tongues. And so I remember I sat in this interview and uh, and we're getting to, the cl- to this place where the senior pastor is going, hey, so what do you think? Do you want to come on staff? And I was like, uh, by the way. And his response was just classic. It was so funny. I was like, I've never spoken in, I've never yeah, prayed in tongues. He goes, oh, we can get around that. <laughs> No. If we can get around that, how serious is it, you know? Um, but oh, so when you, I'm sure you've run into this, speaking in tongues is the proof of our salvation. Yes or no? No. The, the answer is no. Uh, I had an experience with someone who wanted me to experience tongues. Yeah. And uh, she just said, all you do is you just start saying stuff. 
Yeah. And I started mumbling some stuff and I said, is that tongue? She's like, yeah, you're doing it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that is not it. Scripture mm-hmm. says that if this thing were to happen, there would be someone who would translate it. Yeah. And this idea of tongues goes back to a certain time period yeah. where God was doing amazing works. You know, it's a, called the apostolic era, the era of the yeah. apostles. And I'm not saying that God couldn't do something like that yeah. today where people would hear in their own language. Uh, but that's not the prescription for everybody. Yeah. And there are some some denominations that make you feel like a second-class citizen unless you've had the second blessing, Yeah. Uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, I believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens whenever you are saved. Yeah. You have the Holy Spirit indwell you, and yeah. the authentication, the proof of that is now I feel convicted for sin. Now I have a, a different way of thinking. I yeah. have a desire for the things of God, yeah. and I begin to hate those things that God hates, mainly yeah. my own sin. It's Ephesians, or not Ephesians, it's Galatians chapter 5. Sure. Works of the flesh right. versus fruit of the Spirit. Amen. If right. the fruit of the Spirit is in you, he's cultivating love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, uh, self-control, faithfulness, faithfulness yeah. in, in you, right? Yeah. And so so that's, that's it. I think that's the proof right. of our salvation, right, is that the Holy Spirit is in us, and he's cultivating those things sure. in us, and they'll be more evident in our lives. Yes. And so that's the proof of our salvation. Right. I'm not. I'm not against tongues. Sure. Right. I I have a view that I think in Acts it was always clearly that the the group that that was experiencing that understood it. Sure. And it was most most likely where we see the clearest expression of it in Acts is Acts chapter two, when uh, at at Pentecost. Right. It was, it was, they were literal languages. I agree with that. And, and you hear reports coming out of the, uh, out of uh, closed or creative access countries where missionaries are going, hey, I was, I was sharing the gospel, but I don't speak their language, but they heard me in their language, yes. you know? And uh, I should have, I have a friend that's had that experience. Sure. And it's like, so, um, so I think, I think like you said, we just need to be very careful. I love the way you said it was, it was descriptive of what was going on. Sure not prescriptive yes. for the church for all times. Universal, right? And we have to be yeah. very, very careful when we take very minor or selective experiences in the scriptures right. where there's not a lot that builds around it for us. Sure. And we go, this is not, this is not descriptive. This is actually prescriptive. Right. And you have to have this or you have to experience this in order to be a Christian. Right. We just got to be very careful about that. Yeah, I think it's dangerous to to not have that assurance of salvation because you didn't have this experience. Yeah. That would that would make me feel so panicked and have a ton of anxiety. Yeah, and I imagine there are a lot of people if they believe that that's how they feel because they haven't had this yep. alleged second blessing. So yeah. then they're questioning whether or not they're even a Christian. Yeah, whether even whether they're even a Christian, and and again it goes back to our baptism if it's a work of salvation or not. Again, if there's any shred of work on my part, right. If it's me having to cultivate this tongues prayer life thing, then if there's any shred of work, it nullifies grace completely. That's right. And the scriptures are most clear, right? Most clear, and this is what we stand on. We stand on what is most clear: yes. um, that salvation is a gift of grace by faith Amen. through Jesus. Amen. And that's and that's it. Right. And and upon the moment that we put our faith in Jesus, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen sealed into God's family, and uh, and we, we begin to live as new creations. 2 Corinthians 5. That's great. Um, 
you know, there for, as Paul says it. So, uh, well, Joseph, man, thanks for bringing us into the word this morning. Thanks for walking through a pretty meaty passage and just pointing us back to the, the mission that God wants us to be on is to go and make disciples. Amen. It's the great commission. Yes. So my pleasure. All right. Thank and everyone, you. thanks for sending in these questions. We, again, we, we love to create a dialogue around the scriptures because we believe that they have authority to change the way that we think and then the way that we live. Absolutely. We'll see you next week. See ya.